You're listening to Hayes Radio Network, Cannabis Lifestyle Radio. The business of cannabis is brought to you by Cash Tech Currency Products, North America's leading cash management provider for cannabis retailers. Cash recyclers, smart safes, software and services, Cash Tech has everything the cannabis retailer needs to track, manage, and secure the cash earned in the dispensary. Don't take chances with your cash. Call Cash Tech and solve the problem. Visit www.cashtechcurrency.com to learn more. You're listening to Hayes Radio Network, Cannabis Lifestyle Radio. This is the business of cannabis. Welcome to the Business of Cannabis. This is Dave Sky along with Matt Cook as we bring you more business stories from the cannabis front lines, the latest in software, services, innovations, retail, distribution, marketing, a hard look at the hard realities of making money in the cannabis industry. And I think this is uh, indeed a hard look. Uh, we start off the show chatting with Stacey Santoro, VP of BizDev of uh, Green Cloud Design, a, a design shop that offers uh, specialized services to dispensary. If anyone's ever had to design anything, I think you'll agree it can be a bewildering array of choices uh, with no clear-cut ones. Uh, you know, and each choice is important because uh, they directly impact the customer experience. So you choose the wrong blue, and you'll alienate uh, the very people you want coming in and buying. A misplaced counter will ruin the uh, in-store traffic flow, and people will go somewhere else eventually. So after uh, Stacy, we'll be chatting with uh, three people about a very hard reality, indeed, uh, the lack of opportunity in cannabis for people from underrepresented communities. We have Ernest Tony, founder of BIPOC Can, Tahir Johnson, director of social equity inclusion for the Marijuana Policy Project, and also Joey Pena, who works with the city of Denver, a longtime cannabis organizer and former journalist. So lots to talk about. These are important issues. So please take a moment to grab your favorite hot beverage or even indulge in, uh, in our favorite plant as we hope to both entertain and inform. I'm Dave Sky with Matt Cook, and this is The Business of Cannabis. And welcome to The Business of Cannabis. Dave Sky here with Matt Cook, and uh, we are uh, pleased uh, to welcome uh, Stacy Santoro from uh, Green Cloud Design. Uh, Stacy has a 20 plus uh, year career in the business development and design space. Currently director of uh, BizDev with Green Cloud Design and also its sister company, EIE Environments, uh, based in Pennsylvania. Uh, Green Cloud offers design and manufacture of retail dispensary store fixtures and product displays. We met at uh, MJ Unpacked in Vegas recently, which uh, happened at the same time as MJ BizCon. I was impressed by Green Cloud's offering and decided we needed to talk more about it. So Stacy, welcome to the show. Hi, David and Matt, thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Well, um, look, tell us a bit about Green Cloud. Like, uh, you know, what do you offer in cannabis uh, specifically? And what's the, what's the, you know, vision of the company and, and what are you guys been up to? Sure thing. Um, so our background really uh, started out in the retail store fixture industry um, about 22 years ago. Our team has been together as long. Um, about four years ago, we started to look at the cannabis space uh, really as having a need for improvement um, of the environment uh, with the growth of the industry. We thought it would be a good add-on. Uh, we still do a lot in what I'll call traditional retail, but a lot of what we've learned over the years applies you know, in the cannabis space. So that's kind of what our focus has been and uh, attending shows and trying to really reach people at the right time in their journey. So. Um... It's interesting. One, hey, here's a successful business. You've been at it for some years. Now there's this new business. Can we yeah. bring our skills to this? Yeah. What What are the issues um, facing dispensaries from a design perspective that you saw needed to be addressed? And 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 how is that from in the last four years? How have you seen that progress? Like that design yeah. journey from yeah, where you know I, think... I don't know if I'm stereotyping from a store behind a like a 
dark window to whatever, <laughs> you know, yep. whatever you're seeing now. Yeah, no, it, it's a great question because I think the, the industry has been all over the place. Um, you know, you have kind of markets that are more mature and been at it for a while, like California and Colorado. And there are a lot of independents there, right? So they kind of can do whatever they want. You know, they kind of can look how they want. They can create their own brand. Um, and then we've seen multi-state operators kind of come along and they have a distinct look regardless of where they're located. It's a repeatable environment so that regardless of where they are in the country, when someone goes in, they know that that's where they are. So when you take a little bit of both of those, the independent business owner that wants to have their own brand and great recognition and the MSOs that kind of have their own way of doing it, there's a place in the middle where we want to live that kind of blends both. Um, I think the challenge to the consumer is if you're a new consumer, you're not really sure how to navigate the environment, right? You could be nervous. It might be your first time. Mm -hmm. um, if you're experienced, you might already have an expectation of what it should be like. But our opinion is it has to be comfortable. It has to be welcoming. Uh, we want it to be beautiful because that's kind of what makes everybody come back. Um, and there kind of has to be a way for people to understand what the offerings are inside. Um, those are some of the challenges that we've, we've kind of seen. You know, when we started our journey of exploring this, we'd go in a dispensary for the first time and we'd act like well, we weren't acting. We were new to it, right? So we'd walk in and be like, well, how does it feel to us? And right. through that, we sort of learned what was missing um, from what we wanted to experience as a consumer based on our experience. So kind of like that you've got the Apple stores and then the yeah. independent coffee shops and, yeah. uh, you know, th that's, uh, that's what you're dealing with. So and everything in between. Yeah. 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 What, are, what, are, what are some of the design trends that you're seeing, um, you know, at the dispensary level? Um, I think, you know, for us, we have to be mindful of what's going on in that particular state as far as regulations, right? Because in right. some states, touching the product, um, and I'm not saying flour, like you can put your hands on flour, that's always in kind of a, a secured container. Right. But there's, an, there's certain states where you can walk up and take something off the shelf and walk up to the cash register and buy it. And in some states, you're kind of led through the process with a bud tender and you place an order and it gets fulfilled. So right. our first, our first um, sort of task at hand, if you will, is to kind of understand what's going on in that state because that entire client interaction um, has everything to do with the design and everything right. that we think about when we're creating these displays um, and accessibility to them and security around them. Um, the customer journey is always paramount, but again, the accessibility and the touch, uh, the touch points are different. And so that's kind of how we have to uh, have our brains go uh, down that path when we're thinking about design and what the display should do. Let me, let's follow up on that. Like, you know, I when I'm, I'm hearing you speak, I know that you know they tend most dispensaries tend to have that pharmacy look, mm -hmm. so they go that direction. Yeah. Some of them have a sort of a fast foody look, with right. a board and a and a few of them, but very few might have a fun kind of theme. Yes. Do you how do you resonate with those approaches? Why phar pharmacy? Um, do you what what do you see as the as we go into 2022 you know should be the more focus on what the you said the customer journey what is that journey why why would i want to go to a place that looks like a pharmacy or right. do i want to go to a place how do you feel about those different or is it a combination of everything yeah i'm starting my new i'm starting my new uh chain of dispensaries you know tell me yeah. what to do yeah i think really um to answer that question, I think it starts with, is it a medical or is it a recreational environment? Because I right. do think that a medical environment has a little bit more pharmacy feel, right? It's a well, little more- Well, let's assume it's rec. Let's assume it's rec. Like, obviously, if it's a, it's a, a medical, then yeah, you're trying to do that. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, but let's assume it's rec. Even those, most of them have that sort of pharmacy uh, display, super neat and clean and tidy and it's back, you know. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, it, it's curious because I think the brand um, has everything to do with that, their vibe. And, and again, I'm not talking a multi-state operator because they've already figured it all out and they kind of are a repeatable model. But as an independent, I really think that that particular brand, we start with talking to them about their brand journey. How did they arrive at what their name is? How did they arrive at their color scheme? Or I mean, simple, simple things like that, because that right then and there, their vibe tells us what they've want their customer to experience. Um, you know, and a lot of them have gone down the path of hiring a branding agency and they sort of have a brand guidelines deck. And that's super helpful for us. Right. Uh, we don't do that part of it. Typically when a client comes to us, they usually have some kind of idea of who they are and what they want to, or how they want to be presented and what they want to look like. So for us, that immediately starts the creative journey. If they have something like that, because they they'll talk about, you know, hey, we're, we're the first ones to be in this community. So we really want it to be welcoming or we're, mm. you know, we're the third guy and we have to compete with these other two. And this is what they look like. And we want to be different. So there's a couple of different ways that we kind of get to how should it look, but it often starts with some of the research the client's already done about who they want to be and what they look like in their vision. How often do you, and I'm not talking the multi-state operators, but the independents, how often do you do when you're going through your process uh do they go wow i never thought of that um <laughs> you know because i can imagine that you know they're so excited to to open their location and and get moving but they they haven't necessarily thought about everything right right uh, especially because this is a new industry to your point there's different state regulations how often does that happen um i would say 90% of the time when they come to me, the bare minimum they have is a, a logo and a name. They've done that. Um, and sometimes color. I've not spoken to anybody. Well, let me rephrase. I've not talking to, I've not spoken to anybody that is serious about it that doesn't at least have that. Because if they don't at least have that, they're not ready to talk to us, right? right. I mean, again, they have a lot of other boxes to check. Um, before they get to that point. And at that point, if they don't, if they haven't thought of a name, a logo, and some sort of brand, they might not even have applied for a license yet, right? Uh, so I'm so getting excited about opening my store and now you now I've got more work to do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, come yeah. on. Okay, I'll come up yeah. with a name. Yep. So it's kind of like, let, let's go down face. this journey together. You know, I, I might even say to them, well, these are some things that I think uh, you need to think about and we can do it together. Or I can recommend you to, you know, an agency that may want to help you. But it, it, that's a really um, early conversation. And we'll certainly help with that. But to kind of circle back to Matt, how often does it happen? Not very, you know, like by the time we're talking to them, they've, they've got, I'll say those first three boxes checked. It's by yeah. far the full list, but they're, they're on a path. They're on a path. Now, you know, just kind of following up on that is, you know, what mistakes do you see people make, um, mm -hmm. you know, in the design, um, you know, either before they come to you or, you know, during, you know, your process? Um, what I think is is kind of important is um, client consumer education, right? So these places all have bud tenders. And like we said before, sometimes it's a very guided one-on-one -on -one experience. Sometimes it's an optional experience to kind of be partnered one-on-one. -on -one. And sometimes it's a self-guided journey. So I think that a mistake that can be made, um, and we talk about this very often, is that moment of self-education for a customer. I'm not saying a menu board, like you stand in front of it and you read it and you kind of, you're supposed to get it all. It's not that, it, but it, so it's not that and it's not nothing. It's somewhere sweetly in between. And by that, I mean the way the dispensary is designed, the way the fixtures are built, the way the product displays are made. We always have this idea that there should be a self-education moment um, for somebody that just happens to walk upon a case or a, a tabletop and there's a beautiful product on there. There should be something informative that the client can glance at really quickly um, to understand what the product does, um, you know, kind of what, what its composition is and how it's going to help them. And we've done really, really well with our clients in suggesting um, graphic opportunity, um, 
feature benefit opportunity right in the cabinet, right on the table, right on the display, um, and even go so far as to work with them to have it be um, able to be updated. So it's not so permanent, uh, whether it's through magnetics or a different way of doing it so that it, the display or the, the, the showcase can live as it needs to for the life of it, but the updates can happen very inexpensively. So I feel that sometimes that educational moment is missing and we try to build that into the design uh, because I think it's really important. We are talking to Stacy Santoro of Green Cloud Design, um, trying to figure out the perfect design for my new chain of dispensaries. Apparently I have some work to do. <laughs> uh, first, a stupid word like names and logos. Um, I'm big picture, by the way. I don't get into the weeds, but all good stuff. I, 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 I follow up on that because um, the balance, give me, give me the dream uh, customer experience then from your perspective, mm -hmm. um, taking into account maybe this is an unfair question, different types of customers right. from a design perspective. So mm -hmm. a first-time customer or first-time-ish uh, wants what experience and how does design take that into account? What if I'm a regular? Uh, how do you take that into account? I don't, you know, how, how, do, you, how do you accommodate all that? Got it. Um, you know, every time you walk in the door, they're checking your ID, right? It's a requirement and that's okay. Um, I think that what I've seen is missing in the all-inclusive experience, first-time user reg, or uh, first-time visitor, regular visitor, would be that kind of that Q and A um, when someone walks in. Is this your first time here? Um, are you an experienced user? Would you like to have you know a consultative moment? Because what I've found to be the two defining things in design is if it's medical, there's a place you go and sit and you talk with somebody. If it's not you don't. Right. How about if it's rec, but you need to talk to somebody maybe more privately or maybe have more of a consult instead of on the middle of the sales floor where everybody is hearing right. what you're saying, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. So a perfect customer experience for me would be um, a design would be to have a place for that that's comfortable. It doesn't have to be enclosed. It's not behind a closed door. It could almost have like a little bit of a lounge feel, but it could be sort of separate. Um, separate but included, you know, in the experience. So that helps that first time person really feel at ease. And then I think the, the overall conversation about the journey really starts with what the client is looking for, but I think the environment should be conducive to a guided experience or a self-guided tour. And that has everything to do with how we lay out the store, um, what the fixtures look like, how much is visible, how much information is represented, whether it's in, on a wall unit or whether it's on a table or whether it's inside of a showcase. Um, so we really are kind of talking about the dream environment that kind of caters to everybody. Um, but I think that those are a couple of important points that need consideration. And it's certainly what we talk about when we start you know, um, talking to a new customer. Right. Well, moving on to some brands you work with. Um, mm -hmm. What are some of the successful brands uh, doing well? Um, yeah, that's, that's a great question from a brand perspective. So to, to kind of um, recap, if we're not doing the full store, we're trying to help the brands that go into that store that are kind of competing for space with all the other products that could be similar to theirs, right? So yeah. it's almost like, how do we make them stand out? Um, we've had terrific success and a wonderful relationship and partnership with Juana. Um, you know, they're a terrific edibles brand. And, you know, when you talked about how we met at MJ Unpacked, David, I met them at M MJ Unpacked um, the when it was virtual. And um, it was just a really great opportunity for their, their growth with their product assortment and what they were currently doing at retail to where they wanted to go um, over the past like year and a half. So we basically, they were able to share with us kind of what they looked at, what they looked like right now at that moment we were talking to them and kind of said, listen, we know we have to do better. We want to do better. Can you help us? So there's an example where we're starting with a well-established brand, but we're just trying to help them look better and um, be flexible with their continuous innovation with their products and the new things they were putting to market. Um, so that, that's a really terrific story. I mean, they are, they are 
more and going to more and more states as we speak uh, with different products. So we basically took them from what I'll call a simple look to something that is very sophisticated yet clean um, and beautiful. So uh, materially, we elevated them. Flexibility, they were elevated with their flexibility. Um, so that, that's a great story. And it's funny how it relates back to MJ Unpacked. Um, we've done some great work for uh, Parallel, which has a family of brands underneath them, um, from tabletop displays to floor fixtures. Um, again, we didn't do the entire environment, but we were doing moments within it. Um, and we've also serviced some great beverage brands. Um, that is, continues to be a growing market, and there's a terrific way to try to get them to stand out without just being um, in a refrigerator, right? Right, um, off, because, the, off in the corner. Yeah, yeah, out in the corner with everybody else. Uh, we've worked with Wink, W-Y-N-K, great uh, new beverage brand out there doing some really cool tabletop displays, um, again, that have graphics and messaging to really have the customer understand why they're different. So knowing that you, you know, you, the company started with, you know, a background in, in retail, yeah. what are some of the kind of the unique challenges with, uh, with cannabis that, that you found or, or are there any? Um, well, I think the biggest challenge is one of the biggest direct differentiators is security. You know, everything's locked up or, and even in the environment, everything has, there's more cameras, there's um, a different level of cash management, right? So when we're doing a full environment, we're not only dealing with how the product is sold and the showcase or the table or the wall unit, but we're dealing with how the transactions are processed, uh, which has to do with, you know, sometimes there is a traditional, I'll call it cash wrap. That's an old, old school retail term, right? The cash wrap. Um, or there's these, you know, um, sort of built in more um, iPad friendly, you know, transaction areas, but it's an increase in cash management, um, an increase in security. Um, lighting is really, really important. Not that it isn't in retail, but um, for some of these products that are in showcases, they have to be well lit. Um, and then messaging, you know, so again, in a, in a regular retail store, um, the client going into that store kind of knows what the product is. In a, right. in a dispensary, there's a a plethora of products that clients don't know a lot about. So that messaging opportunity is different as well. Um, so those are the kind of things that we've had to sort of rise to the occasion and solve for um, and provide solutions. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. yeah, it's like a challenge or it's an opportunity, I guess. <laughs> it yeah. can either sink you or maybe yeah. you swim. Yeah, um, absolutely. Kind of like uh, this idea of, you know, you said brands, a multi have figured it out or not, but I think what they figured out is this is what we're gonna look like. Well, yes. what I'm thinking of is, but maybe you're wrong. That's mm -hmm. not what you should look like. Uh, mm -hmm. Cause you know, maybe it's more like coffee where local is winning. There's a few national brands, but very few. And it's really about the local experience. I wonder, let's finish it off with that. We are running a little out of time a little bit, but what do you think about, yeah. is it a more of a local thing in your mind? Uh, um, what your dispensary should look like, or is it fast food? Yeah, a thousand of them all looking the same. Um, I think that it's local. I really feel that um, community has a lot to do with this industry being successful, um, especially when it's a new state and there's new neighborhoods. And a lot of what we try to design into our space is a community moment, whether it's a board, um, you know, whether it's a, I don't know, a chalkboard or a pinup board where the owner can receive feedback and share feedback or post things that like events and things that are going on in their community. Um, and I think that is the biggest differentiator from an independent to say a multi-state operator is that local feel. And I do think it's really important. Um, sustainability and, and certain materials are also important to, to someone, to some people, not everybody. Um, you know, and we have a terrific background in sourcing those types of things uh, materially because of where we are um, in Pennsylvania. We have great access to great materials that have a sustainable mindset, um, and that is important to some. Um, you know, as, as communities um, are all different age groups, um, you know, certain things are important. And I think having that feeling that they belong and, you know, depending on the brand, uh, a sustainable mindset could be important, too, and we're prepared for that. Right, Stacy. I'd like to thank you very much for coming. This was uh, this was great. Um, 
And it just shows uh, business, the depth of it. Uh, yeah, I want to sell cannabis. The next thing you know, you're, where should the, where should the this display go? And how do customers flow? And what's their journey? Right. And what does the sign say? And like, whoa, uh, this is yeah. a real this is a real business. It's not just uh, slap, slap it together it. and open your <laughs> uh, store. This uh, right. We've been chatting with uh, Stacey Santoro of Green Cloud website, EIE-GreenCloud.com. That's EIE-GreenCloud.com. And um, give Stacey a call and get your store designed. <laughs> yeah, I wish I had done so that before I place. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you, Stacey. Thank you, guys. Really enjoyed it. Have a great day. You too. And we'll be back uh, soon with more of the business of cannabis. The business of cannabis is brought to you by Cash Tech Currency Products, North America's leading cash management provider for cannabis retailers, cash recyclers, smart safes, software and services. Cash Tech has everything the cannabis retailer needs to track, manage, and secure the cash earned in the dispensary. Don't take chances with your cash. Call Cash Tech and solve the problem. Visit www.cashtechcurrency.com to learn more. Welcome back to the business of cannabis. Dave Scott here with Matt Cook. Uh, interesting discussion, we hope. Uh, we want to uh, look at diversity inclusion in the cannabis space and issues and challenges facing various underrepresented uh, communities and groups and so on. Um, we see this as a business issue. Uh, what do businesses need to know about this? How can they make improvements in this, um, in these areas? Uh, so we have uh, three uh, very well-known people in this uh, uh, area uh, first. Uh, welcome back to the show, uh, Ernest Tony, who we first met at MJ BizCon in Vegas. Uh, we were so impressed, we invited him back to continue the discussion. Ernest is founder of BIPOCAN, an organization fighting to improve the disproportional uh, makeup of uh, uh, BIPOC uh, entrepreneurs, business owners, and contractors, uh, service providers in the can in the cannabis uh, industry. Um, uh, as well, uh, Tahir Johnson, who is Director of Social Equity and Inclusion with the Marijuana Policy Project. Uh, if you have any connection to the cannabis space, you've heard of MPP, uh, founded back in 1995, and uh, MPP has been at the forefront of the cannabis legalization struggle since it almost began. And um, I'd like to welcome uh, Joy Pena, who is Cannabis uh, Process Navigator with the City and County of Denver. Uh, Joey was a reporter for the Marijuana Business Daily for uh, some time, a well-known presenter and community event organizer. Gentlemen, welcome to the business of cannabis. Thank you. Hello. Hey, thank you. So let me uh, let me ask uh, sort of a level-setting question. Uh, maybe I'll direct it to Ernest. Uh, uh, tell me what diversity inclusion means to you in the context of cannabis. What are we talking about here? In your view. Yeah, well, thanks, David. And Joey, to hear, it's good to connect with you. I'm excited for the conversation today. Um, yeah, so what does diversity and inclusion mean, you know, within the context of the cannabis industry? You know, usually when I am asked questions about uh, diversity and inclusion within the space, uh, try to address the fact that, you know, we have this brand new industry that's creating a ton of uh, wealth for lots of people. And, you know, if you just sort of look at where that wealth is going broadly, it is traditionally centered, at, you know, that, that wealth is traditionally going to uh, business owners and companies that are uh, owned and operated by white men. Okay. So when you look at the historical context of the cannabis industry, and you see that in the United States that there are you know, more than 40,000 people who are behind bars for cannabis convictions, uh, possession and use, and that a disproportionate number of those folks who have been convicted and incarcerated um, are, you know, people of color, then you see a huge disconnect. Um, when you look at the business of cannabis industry, it's going to be really important to ensure that 
you're finding ways to integrate people of diverse backgrounds and perspectives to your team. Uh, so a few years ago when this industry was really made, you know, picking up a lot of traction, uh, it was celebrated broadly that it was one of the most uh, accepting industries for diversity in terms of uh, the number of women CEOs and leaders that are represented. And as we're seeing more uh, outside funds and influence from traditional industry come into the cannabis space, that is also uh, being impacted. So uh, a lot of evidence and research out there that shows that diverse teams tend to be higher performing teams tend to uh, be more profitable. So when I try to tackle this conversation, I think of if you're in a position of power, if you're in a position of being able to you know, hire, decide who your contractors are, find ways to have, you know, different voices and perspectives at the table. So, you know, I would say this is a very, very important conversation when you look at the history of the cannabis industry, where it's going and how we actually are in a position to be more inclusive by having, you know, folks of no different genders, ethnicities, uh, you know, at the table. Let's jump, uh, let me jump in on that because let's build on what you just said in terms of where we're at. Uh, so is there benefits to it? Is it the right thing to do? All that well articulated. What, but where are we on this at this moment if we took a temperature of the, of the nation? To hear you want to take a, take a, a run at that. Sure thing. Um, well, the way that um, many times, and, and I think Ernest put that very well, describing the context of why diversity and inclusion is is, is especially important in cannabis. Um, and as we look at the way the industry is unfolded, um, the way that that programs usually look to implement diversity and inclusion is through social equity programs. Um, the goal of social equity programs is to have um, people from those communities. Um, be able to get part of the business of cannabis, but also to be able to have the finances go back to restoring those same communities that have been victims of the war on drugs. So, you know, social equity in itself is, is a somewhat new concept. Um, on a state level, we had Illinois, which was the first state that really tackled it on a state at, at a statewide level. And then we have a number of different programs where we're starting to see it develop. I'll say that I'm certainly excited that, especially as we've seen um, legalization pick up in many of the new states, um, a lot of them on the East Coast, New York, Connecticut, New Jersey, Virginia, um, there have been programs to be intentional about trying to increase minority and, and woman, women participation in the industry, because as Ernest said, it is something very important. Um, and even on a federal level now, as we look at a number of the bills that have come out, um, you know, it's an overall goal to increase participation from communities that have been harmed by the world on drugs. So diversity, equity, and inclusion really is one of the leading parts of the cannabis legalization movement um, right now as we see it. Like, again, and Joey, do you, do you, what's your take on, on where we're at? Like, uh, you know, are there some good, are some positive things happening? Uh, is it, no, we're kind of, just getting started in this aspect of, of cannabis or are we just a holding pattern? What's your, what's your view? You hear said it very well in terms of equity programs now really being a part of the foundation of legalization in many states. Um, Colorado obviously is, a, is an extremely mature market. And we have implemented in Colorado and here in Denver, we've implemented a social equity program um, that has so far been successful. Um, and I, I say that when I look at other cities or states where they're, where they're struggling to implement programs, where they're sidelined by lawsuits over licensing lotteries um, in Denver, we have been thoughtful about implementing a program that we feel is legally sound, that we have been able to issue licenses under for now, I think uh, about the last six months. Um, we've eliminated 
uh, a, a cap and lottery requirement that was in our former marijuana code. And we've provided exclusive licensing access to social equity applicants. Those are folks who were um, harmed by the war on drugs, uh, who were harmed by marijuana prohibition, or who faced systemic inequities in, in education or employment. Um, so I think there's here in Colorado and Denver, I think we've been able to do some good work. We're looking forward to doing more good work in terms of providing technical assistance programs, um, access to, to small business loans or grants. Um, so, so good work is being done and there is still a lot of work to do to make this a priority in every state, in every city that's legalizing cannabis across the country. Are there... Are there some, let's assume I'm a business. Uh, I have uh, 50, uh, 50 dispensaries. Uh, make, me, make me into a big deal. I'll pretend for a minute. Uh, are there some easy wins? Are there some things? Okay, and I, and I just, I heard this show and I go, you know what? I have completely dropped the ball on diversity inclusion and, 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 and I'm not a bad person. I just have uh, been too busy doing the other stuff try to stay in business, but now, okay, whatever. I'm, I heard this. What, what, give me the, give me the, the playbook. What are some, maybe some easy, not easy is the, but what are the first steps that I should take to start moving the needle on this issue? Who wants to think, uh, 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 talk to that? Ernest, do you want to like, what, like, yeah, I call you up and Ernest, oh, I heard you're uh, a founder of BIPOC camp. Sounds amazing. What, what do I do? I know nothing. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that's actually interesting, right? Because, um, you know, a lot of times if you're going from a position where maybe, you know, you, you don't know how to tackle something, then uh, I'd say, you know, reach out to some folks who are experts in that area that can come in objectively and say, okay, well, uh, we see what you're doing, but we also recognize, A, like some gaps or, you know, B, uh, some opportunities that, can directly connect you to diverse audiences. I mean, you know, if you are in a position where, you know, you're owning and operate, you know, 50 retail stores, uh, guarantee that you have a very diverse customer base, right? And it, it's gonna be interesting. And so think about that, like the people that you, who are literally keeping you, your, your business, you know, uh, uh, in operation, you know, are there interests that are needs being reflected in the decision making, uh, you know, in decision making at the at the corporate level, right? So um, if you're not having a direct contact and that direct connection, and really like um, figuring out how you your business is addressing and adopting uh, to the needs of your consumers, then there's going to be something that you're missing. And you know, I believe that as we start to see. Uh, as we get closer to federal legalization and we have, uh, it's no longer going to be about where can I get, you know, certain cannabis product because I can get it here, there, here, there. Right. Uh, consumers going to become more sophisticated and start to shop and support, you know, companies that are more aligned with their needs and interests. I and mean, we see this time again in a lot of different industries. So if you are looking for places to start, I mean, you could look to uh, consultants, you can look to outside organizations that specialize in this type of work uh, to provide, you know, some insights to to guide that D that diversity, equity, and inclusion plan that you're creating. We are here with Ernest Tony of BIPOC Can to hear Johnson Marijuana Policy Project and Joy Pena, who's uh, from the, the city of uh, county of Denver. Um, to hear if you had to assess. Um, barriers to entry, and there's obviously connections between different barriers. Do you see that they're more economic in this area with regard to cannabis in the sense of access to banking, uh, underbanked uh, access to capital, that kind of, or is it more on the social side? Um, so a prejudice, racism, uh, that kind of thing. Um, and, and you're not allowed to say it's both. <laughs> give me a sense, or maybe you can, but give me a sense of that uh, as it relates to cannabis, because I know different industries are at different stages. And as Ernest said, it's, this is a new business. So uh, a lot of things are changing so quickly. Sure. Well, I would absolutely say that access to capital is the number one barrier to entry for inclusion in the industry. 
Um, when you start out taking a look at the, the wealth gap that exists between um, Black and Latino communities from our white counterparts and the fact that cannabis is federally illegal in the United States, um, you know, cannabis is a very capital intensive business. And if you don't have some type of personal wealth or access to private equity, venture capital or those types of things, then it's very hard for you to be successful in the business. Um, and typically statistics show that, you know, are those groups, minorities and women do have less access to that. And that's actually what brought me into the cannabis industry in the first place. Um, you know, I had a career in finance before, which helps me to have that type of vision in leading these programs. Um, and even to follow up what you, you know, the, the previous question that you asked, Ernest, I think a lot of how we can help that to be successful is by um, measuring, um, you know, measuring these things and accountability around diversity and inclusion. That's the number one most important thing. Um, and I'll tell you um, now what I've seen, really just giving these companies the resources to be able to understand how we can impact communities has gone a long way. Um, with my work at US Cannabis Council, um, I've had the opportunity to, um, with our member companies, implement some outstanding programs that I think will um, really impact diversity and inclusion um, on the corporate business level um, in a large way by, for example, having our internship program where we're starting to give pathways to the C-suite to uh, minority students to get involved in some of these companies because I think it's just talent and education, you know, bridging those gaps. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, sorry. Me. Oh, that's Matt's back. Okay. Yeah. Matt had, uh, <laughs> I was going to uh, just literally about to say, unfortunately, technical difficulties have forced me to no, I, I'm back. take control, but you're back. <laughs> yeah. And I have, like, I have a finest degree and, um, what you're saying is actually very interesting. How can you bring, um, you know, students to understand the potential of the cannabis industry? Well, that's interesting. Yeah, that, the potential, and then and then to bring this awareness yeah. into it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I'm at Harvard, man. I'm just, I'm just out to make a buck. And now said, you know, how do you, how do you deal um, with that? Well, you know, can <laughs> by the way, I am at Harvard just in case everyone wants to know. Yeah, of course. <laughs> well, you know, can, cannabis is one of those things where it's hard to look at the business of cannabis without discussing the advocacy of cannabis because the two um, truly go hand in hand. Um, when you look at, right. I think, um, you know, and I think that's the biggest thing we've seen a lot of people, you know, try to come into the industry just looking at it for the money. But it, the, the cannabis community is, is one that is so, um, you know, I think Ernest or, or Joey might have said it earlier, right? Eventually, companies are going to want to um, they want to know about sustainability. They want to know who are you hiring? What are you know, what is the company culture like And some of those practices that we see in the greater business community? as cannabis becomes more and more legitimate, it's only a matter of time before people are going to demand these things of our um, cannabis brands. Joey, what, what's your perspective, uh, whether it's Denver, in terms of where the biggest areas, the, the barriers are, and, and then also what what you can do to start breaking those barriers down if there's a, if there's a place to start? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, well, I, I think certainly the there are barriers that are absolutely economic in terms of access to capital. Um, I believe a lot of the, the, the economic challenges are created by social barriers as well. Um, so social barriers, when we're talking about um, systemic inequities across education or employment, eventually that leads to creating these more economic challenges that that our our equity applicants face, um, I think, you know, you said you can't say both, but I would say one begets the other. <laughs> the, the social challenges really create um, these economic challenges, and and we have to have those honest conversations about the the social challenges we face in our country, um, so that we better understand barriers across the board. Um, you know, back to the question that you had asked Ernest as well, in terms of how to get started, it's, it's less, less talk, more action. Um, companies can, can certainly, there's work that they can do. I, as a regulator, I can't provide 
business or legal advice. I am, I'm sure my city attorneys wouldn't, <laughs> they would frown on, they would frown on me telling anyone how to incorporate a, a diversity and inclusion plan. But what I will say is in Denver, we, we hosted a, um, a marijuana social equity resource fair. Um, Ernest, uh, Ernest participated. We have hundreds of, of licensed businesses. We have hundreds of ancillary businesses. Um, and, and we had 30, 30 businesses show up to support our applicants. We had 300 people interested in our social equity program come out that day to learn more about the resources available to them. And we only had, and not only the folks who participated, I am deeply grateful for the, the 30 or so businesses that participated that day um, demonstrated a commitment to supporting social equity applicants. But I think they're, the folks who didn't show up have the work to do. They say that they support social equity and, and now we need to see them put that into practice sort of across the board. Let me throw this open to all of, to everyone who wants to jump in based on actually a comment that Tahir met. So how, how do you then measure, how do we measure success? And, and tying that into, how do you guys stay so positive? Because you all strike me as positive people who mm -hmm. are, you know, you get up in the morning and you, and you work in this area and you're not bitter, you don't strike me as bitter and angry and 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 railing away. How do you stay? So how do we measure success and how do we stay positive in, in that context? Who who wants to? I'll throw it open. I'll I'll take a Joey um, wants it. Yeah, I'll take a stab at that. Um <laughs> and I'll start stab with, away. Stab I'll away. start with um with measuring success because I think measuring success is 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 deeply nuanced. I think we we have to look at um obviously increasing participation in the industry by folks who have been harmed by the war on drugs or face systemic inequities in employment and education. Uh, the Colorado um, and now Denver is tracking demographic information uh, among our licensees. So we're getting kind of a baseline understanding to see where we are in a few years in terms of increasing participation um, by diverse groups. Um, I think, however, we, we we have to, there are some things that we won't be able to measure, such as how these programs create generational wealth, how they impact more than the applicant, but the applicant's family members. Right, the sum um, of the parts, yeah. And exactly. that is tougher for, for you to be able to measure, um, but I, I would hope that we can keep our eye on that as well to just better understand that these programs are going to have uh, larger and wider um, benefits. And then in terms of staying positive, I think it's it's seeing folks like Ernest and Tahir and um, doing the work. I, I'm, as a, as a city employee, I, I stay positive because I, I see people doing the work. I see people committed to advancing equity across the country. I see the people that I work with in my office, um, the mayor and, and my directors who are so committed to, to making this equity program work that it gets me out of bed in the morning. It makes me want to do a better job and it makes me want to continue to improve our licensing programs for the people we're trying to help. Okay, just, okay now it's down to Ernest or, or, or Joe, you want to, uh, to hear, sorry, and uh, Ernest, uh, we're, we're almost out of time. You didn't want to jump in and, 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 and cause I'd like to hear, uh, as, particularly from you two who are sort of more on the front lines. How do we measure success and how do we stay positive about this? Yeah, I'll start with, um, you know, how to, how to stay positive. Um, you know, one of the things that um, I, I guess through, you know, what, what BIPOC can has been like, it's, it's, it's real focal point is literally trying to find uh, entry points, pathways uh, to connect underrepresented communities to the cannabis industry. And one of the core, you know, focal areas of our mission is to increase BIPOC visibility, right? So part of that is sharing stories, uh, getting insights and using, you know, uh, the network that we have to amplify the stories um, and experience of, of people who uh, have not had like the, the platforms of access to be seen and be heard. So uh, what keeps me motivated is Literally, just um, every single day, I'm connecting with someone, learning about you know what their challenges have been, but also 
the cool like innovations that they have been able to come up with. Like uh, not everybody has to participate in the cannabis industry by uh, pursuing like a license to grow or cultivate or uh, to, to have like a retail, you know, operation. There's a huge ecosystem out there and we create, there's this, uh, a lot of innovation that's coming with that. So being able to um, connect those folks to, you know, people that can support their business journey and also using resources to um, help, uh, you know, convene, you know, whether it's at places like MJ Biz or where Tahir and I just were down in New Orleans for the Black Canada Conference. Um, and even, you know, platforms like this where you can literally tap into the network and say, hey, these are cool perspectives that can be amplified. Um, so there's an abundance of those opportunities and that keeps me going. Um, Tahir, do you have anything? You're on mute. Well, yeah. Well, one of the ways that I'm, you know, that I'm trying, to, that I'm working to measure um, success is again through my work with U.S. Cannabis Council. We have established a DEI task force. Um, the DEI task force includes um, people from the like civil rights, um, social justice, and DEI community. Um, and again, we've established a set of standards that we want our uh, member companies to hold themselves accountable to. And then we're coming back and measuring, um, you know, our success towards those goals. Um, so, you know, what does the corporate structure look like? Um, how diverse is the company? Um, you know, some of those different metrics around diversity, again, because if, if we start tracking it, then we can know that how we're working towards those things. Um, and I'll say for me, I really just stay motivated to do this work because, I, I mean, I love what I do. Um, especially the opportunity that we're working towards that I think Ernest put it very well in the beginning, like this opportunity that we have to, um, to try to help get, create generational wealth and restorative justice, social justice for our communities. Um, for me, it's just like a, a blessing to have the opportunity to do that. Um, you know, I've, I've always been somebody that looked up to community leaders and organizers, and I see cannabis as a, really one of the most important issues of our um, generation just because of the impact that it's had and the um, what it can be, you know, what the what it can mean, mean economically for the future. So, you know, every day that I get the opportunity to wake up, help somebody else get in the industry, um, influence policy um, that I feel like can make a difference, man, it just, um, it, it makes me excited. So I love doing it. That's cool. Amazing. Not surprisingly, yeah, we've we've run out of a little time. And, and for someone who owns 50 <laughs> Uh, mythical dispensaries. If I heard this, I'd be like, this is cool. I'm energized now. I'm going to do something. I want to reach out. So um, this is great. And you're uh, uh, a lot of, um, so I'd encourage everyone to kind of, you know, invest more into this area. And we're going to keep doing uh, more or more on this because, uh, you know, while there's many aspects to this issue, it's also a business. It's just a smart thing to do. It's yes, it's the right thing to do. But why not do the right thing, the smart thing, the the competitive advantage thing, all of that uh, uh, in a very in in this dynamic industry? Um, right. If you're going to keep up, if you're going to appeal to your diverse customer base, a diverse communities, um, why not grow and be more successful? I mean, how else did I get fifty mythical? Uh, uh, dispensaries. <laughs> but um, I want to thank you uh, all for taking the time uh, uh, to share your insights. Uh, Ernest Tony uh, from BIPOCCAN, uh, easy website, BIPOCCAN.com uh, to check out Ernest's uh, great work. Uh, to hear Johnson from the Marijuana Policy uh, Project, equally easy, mpp.org. Uh, uh, go check out uh, the great work. And, and Joy Pena, uh, uh, City of County of Denver, thank you all uh, for, for coming and, and, and sharing and, and, and teaching us a little about, about this um, important issue. Thank you. Thanks for having yeah, us. Thank you for having us. And we will be back uh, with more of the business of cannabis. The business of cannabis is brought to you by Cash Tech Currency Products. North America's leading cash management provider for cannabis retailers. Cash recyclers, smart safes, software and services, Cash Tech has everything the cannabis retailer needs to track, manage, and secure the cash earned in the dispensary. Don't take chances with your cash. Call Cash Tech and solve the problem. Visit 
www.cashtechcurrency.com to learn more. Welcome back to the Business of Cannabis. Dave Sky with Matt Cook. Um, we spoke to Stacy Santoro, Green Cloud Design, and, and then had a panel, uh, Ernest Tony, Tahir Johnson, Joy Pena, talking about uh, underrepresented groups um, being shut out of uh, the cannabis space. Let's start with uh, Stacy and uh, on a more sort of uh, lighthearted <laughs> sort of topic, uh, obviously. What did you make of of, of her offering and, the, and this move, uh, a, a traditional firm moving into now uh, the cannabis space? Yeah, I mean, um, it it's retail, right? Um, and so I think it's a natural prog- progression for a, a firm like theirs. Yeah, it's funny. Like it's re- it's not cannabis; it's retail. It's a store. Retail. <laughs> it should look uh, pretty. <laughs> yeah, just and there's some. Um, you know, some challenging aspects to it, which she, she alluded to. Um, but I think, you know, in the early days, people just put up a store and it was probably successful uh, because it was the only, the only game in town. As more and more dis- dispensaries come online, um, you know, people want an experience. And I mean, Dave, you and I, when we were at Planet 13, that's an experience. Um, and I, at um, uh, on a smaller scale, people want to walk into. There's a reason people go to uh, the Apple Store and not, you know, just you know another electronic store which sells computers and and other stuff. It's because it's very bright, it's clean. There's lots of people to help. You can touch and feel the products. They're right out there. They have a very seamless process for for walking you through and educating you about what product's best for you. And now people kind of expect that from retailers. And, you know, I think a lot of people, uh, design is probably not top of mind, right? Yeah, kind of, I was listening to her. It's like, well, the stakes are... The stakes are getting higher and higher. It's not so easy just to open. You've got to have all your ducks in a row. Uh, if you hope to be successful, where maybe five years ago, you could have a few ducks, but you didn't need all your ducks. No. Uh, now you better bring it because there's a store across, you know, down the down the street, which has or lighting. Or there's one that's going to open up. And yeah, or the next one, or the next one, or the next one. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, then we uh, move to uh, a, mo- a more serious topic. Uh, not that that wasn't serious, serious for the dispensary, but serious societal wise um, uh, about the underrepresented, underrepresented uh, communities in the cannabis space. I found the most interesting part of that interview, that panel discussion was because um, I was getting a little down when I was listening to it because this issue is still around. But I know. You know, when they responded to this idea of like, how do you guys stay so positive? Because I was struck by how positive they are. Right. And I thought that was pretty cool as a counterbalance to we're de- still dealing with this. I know. Especially in cannabis. You know what I mean? Yeah, c- because the culture of cannabis and, and, you know, we've talked about this before. It's, you know, it's different than almost every other industry, you know, I've been in anyway, where people are very um, open and um, supportive and uh, they don't view their competitors as competitors. It's, you know, part of a community. And you're right, you know, in, uh, in 2022, uh, why are we still dealing with these issues? And um, I mean, all we can do is, you know, kind of keep talking about it, bring it to the forefront, but something really has to uh, has to has to give here. Yeah, I, I that was what I mean. It was nice. They've, so then you get really dedicated people still talking about, it, and I guess that's the point. We keep talking about it. We keep po- pointing fingers when things are wrong, and um, and we spoke uh, at MJ BizCon. We 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 spoke to uh, a couple of groups, uh, franchise opportunity in particular, Far and Daughter, who are making a capital available to certain communities. You know, I guess as more and more of these programs come online, but it's definitely something uh, on this show we need to keep tracking. Yeah. Um, And, you know, hopefully as more and more um, people have success, that will breed, you know, more inclusion. 
Um, you know, I'm not sure what the solution is. I really don't. Yeah. Uh, for, for once, I'm at a loss for words. Yeah, because it's because we know it's good for business. It's a good business decision. It's good for everyone. Diversity and inclusion is a good business. Forget about the and and of course it's good for everyone, but it's a good business decision. And yet that doesn't hasn't seemed to have been trans not translating as much as we would we yeah. would have hoped. It's disappointing. From that, yeah, on that uh, level. Um, so we are at that point. I would like to uh, thank uh, our sponsor, Cash Tech Currency. Uh, I would like to thank our listeners. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, and thank our guests. Lots of thanks pouring uh, forth from me. Thank you, uh, Matt Cook, for joining me as always. Yes, thanks, Dave. And thanks, everyone that listened. And this is The Business of... Listen to Hayes Radio Network, Cannabis Lifestyle Radio.